This is the Fleet Success Show. It's the only show designed for fleets where we won't pitch you on products, but rather we're going to pitch you on ideas. Ideas around the four pillars of fleet success, stakeholder satisfaction, intentional culture, resource efficiency, and risk management. Ideas from business and technology to fleet and leadership. These are ideas for tomorrow from the lessons of yesterday and today. This is the only show designed to help you raise the lid on your fleet because your fleet can only be as great as you are. We see that greatness in you. This show is for you and we're glad you're here. We hope you're ready. Now let's get into the show. All right, uh, welcome to the 116th uh, episode of the Fleet Success Show. I'm your host this week, Steve Saltzgiver, Senior Fleet Success Advisor. And today I'm joined with my good friend and uh, mentor and former owner, CEO of Mercury Associates, who is now in retirement, Paul Loria. Today we're going to talk about the perfect storm, which is a phenomenon that Paul coined several years ago as he saw the convergence of the baby boomer retirements and increasing complexity. Uh, em, em, emerging into the automotive fleet industry. So our goal is kind of to beat that topic up and talk about some things that we can roll out or some potential solutions and best practices to help people combat this dilemma. So most of you know me. You've seen me as a veteran podcast host on this uh, fleet success show. Uh, I've been doing this uh, now for quite a few uh, episodes. Um, you know me as a former CEO or uh, Coca-Cola Vice President, Republic Service Vice President, States of Utah and Georgia Director of Fleet Operations, um, and I'm in the Government Hall of Fame. So that's kind of my background. Paul, give us a little bit uh, about your background. Steve, great to join you. Um, so yeah, I retired, as you mentioned, uh, about a year and a half ago from Mercury Associates, uh, bringing to an end a 40-year career in transportation and fleet management consulting. Started my career at uh, Ernst & Winnie, uh, which later became Ernst & Young uh, back in 1984 in Washington, D.C. And within a couple of years in a national transportation consulting group had discovered and decided to really focus my attention on vehicle fleet management. Uh, and as you can imagine, fleet management has changed a lot in the 40 years since I started my consulting career. So I spent eight years at uh, ENY, 10 years at Maximus, and then I co-founded Mercury Associates in 2002 and served as president uh, for 20 years until I retired last year. And I continue to serve as a, a senior advisor. They occasionally give me a call and ask me to provide, provide insights or, or assistance on something that's going on with the company, but uh, I'm enjoying retirement. I have lots of things to keep me busy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually glad cool. to hear that. I'm kind of surprised, <laughs> but <laughs> it's good to hear. Well, as a guy who keeps on telling me he's going to retire, probably first time about <laughs> 10 years ago, it's funny. Here you are. You're still working for a paycheck. <laughs> you know, and I, and I thought I was going to retire again. And then now I've seen this perfect storm and now I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, maybe okay. I still got a little bit more in me here. I figure so. the storm can rage without me, Steve. <laughs> So I got other things I can spend my time on, but I'm but I'm glad to be joining. That's you. that's awesome. Well, tell, <laughs> Paul, tell us about the perfect storm. You know what, how you came up with this, and uh, you know what led you to think about this. Well, there, you know, it's a certainly it's not a coin that 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 I uh, not trademarked by any means, but I started using that expression 
in presentations that I was making to fleet professionals probably about five years or so ago now, maybe even a little bit more than that. And it, I really, it really refers to the convergence of three phenomena that were collectively going to um, create some pretty stormy weather for fleet owners and fleet professionals. So uh, one of the things, so one of the three phenomena or storm, storm fronts, if we want to uh, overuse the metaphor, uh, was advances in information technology. And as you can imagine, in 40 years um, in the fleet industry, going back to the, the early to mid 1980s, we've seen tremendous changes in the availability of information to help manage fleets over that period of time. You know, when I started my consulting career, um, most fleet owners did not have computerized fleet records at all. Everything was paper-based. So if you can imagine trying to understand the maintenance and repair history of a, a vehicle or a piece of equipment so that you can make a decision as to whether to invest more money in that asset when it comes into your shop. You, that necessitated going through what was referred to as a work order jacket and essentially a manila file folder full of paper records, both in-house work orders and vendor invoices, and to try to reconstruct more or less on the fly a picture of um, the maintenance and repair history of this vehicle. And of course, Things have advanced immeasurably since then. First, some larger fleet owners started implementing and utilizing uh, character-based, um, uh, mainframe-based uh, information systems. So they began to computerize uh, some of the records on their fleet assets, but the data that was collected was really not uh, very accessible. Starting uh, in the late 1990s and really in the run up to 2000, we saw a sea change in computerized fleet management information systems where a lot of fleet owners made a first time purchase of a, a Windows based or graphical user interface based system uh, or they were replacing an older mainframe based character based system. So that that had a profound impact on the ability of fleet owners to actually start using uh, computerized data uh, to support decision making, forecasting, planning, and so forth. So that trend continues. You know, now we're you know we're in the early stages of of uh, thinking about how um, artificial intelligence is going to transform fleet management. But uh, so so again, why is you know why do I refer to this, that as a storm front? Because there's a growing expectation in essentially all types of organizations, not just fleet management organizations that business processes will be data enabled, they'll be technology enabled, and that we will get away from, you know, historical practices of making decisions based on subjective judgment, firsthand observation, personal relationships, and be more data driven. And certainly the technology is there that enables us to do that. But um, in many cases, organizations have invested in computer technology to support fleet management practices and lots of other areas of organizational endeavor, but they haven't invested in the training of people to actually turn raw data into actual information. So that puts a lot of pressure on fleet professionals. Second major storm front or trend uh, that, you know, uh, helps explain what I call the, the perfect storm is advances in automotive technology. Okay, we all know that vehicles today are much more technologically complex and in, in many respects, they're you know more fragile uh, than the ones that were uh, being maintained and repaired and managed back in the 1980s when I started uh, my career. Funny, funny you say that. I just saw a thing on uh, there was a 
in Austin, Texas, they had a bunch of uh, autonomous vehicles running around kind of willy nilly <laughs> causing traffic jams. So <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, here we go. You know, talking about the fragility of fleet management here. Right. So, yeah. And I think that's something that, um, that fleet owners are beginning to discover. I mean, you know, just if you think about the kinds of sensors that are now embedded in vehicles, you know, I read a story recently of, of, I I don't think this was a fleet vehicle. It was probably a privately owned vehicle that maybe a really tricked out pickup truck that, you know, was rear-ended and the cost of repairing it was in excess of $40,000 because of all the damage that was done to the sensors embedded in the in the rear of the truck, which is just mind blowing to think about. Yeah. So these these advances in technology, again, put a lot of pressure on fleet owners, on fleet management professionals, not only to figure out um, what the cost of the technology are, to figure out how to continue to maintain and repair these assets. And in many cases, you know, a lot of smaller fleet owners literally do not have the wherewithal to continue to perform the kinds of maintenance repair services on their own fleet assets that they you know, we're able to perform historically because they don't have the technology, they don't have the training budgets, uh, they don't have uh, access to technicians that really are versed in new technology. So that's the second trend. And then the third phenomenon and the one that I think in ways is the most concerning, uh, but, and, but also has gotten the least amount of attention is workforce changes. You know, we are still in the midst of the retirement of the baby boom generation of fleet managers and fleet maintenance supervisors and fleet maintenance technicians. And, you know, these were individuals who had a wealth of practical knowledge that they had accumulated over, you know, several decades in the industry. Um, and that's a huge loss. I refer to that that part of the, the workforce change phenomenon as a brain drain. And it's not restricted to the world of fleet management. You know, the average age of HVAC technicians in the United States is almost 60 years of age. I mean, these are the people that we rely on to maintain right. our, our heating and cooling systems in both residential and commercial buildings throughout the country. So that's pretty scary when you think about that. You know, a lot of young people are not interested in uh, skilled trades. Partly that's our own fault because as a country, we really pushed the benefits of a college education and for too long did not push high school students to consider uh, technical training as opposed to a college education. And now we're, those chickens have really come home to roost. It reminds me um, when I was in Chicago a few years back, we had an 82 year old mechanic working on uh, garbage trucks. Yeah. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. I mean, you, you'd think by that time, you know, somebody could retire, right? But, right. but it was such, there was such a shortage of technicians now. And we still see that phenomenon going on. Yeah. Now, I mean, the you know, the continuing advances in the automotive technology are going to make that problem somewhat moot over time, because even if you've got guys working in your shop with 30 or 40 years experience under under their belts, they're not going to be able to continue to to maintain and repair, um, you know, these these new vehicles that are that are coming off the assembly lines these days. You, However, you might, you even, might if, appreciate even if they don't have the technical expertise, they still have experience incredibly valuable experience in working with vehicle operators and equipment operators, working with third-party service providers. Um, and so while they may not know, you know, all of the ins and outs of the technology under the hood of a new Ford F-150, uh, they certainly have a lot of experience dealing with Ford dealerships, working with third-party service providers and make sure that uh, they know how to 
to get those trucks properly maintained and repaired. Yeah, to your point, you might appreciate this. I just did a uh, presentation for APWA out in PWX, and one part of that presentation, there was a we were showing the Tesla robots that are coming out to become mechanics now, and uh, yeah. that that is right on the precipice. And Audi right now is actually using robots to diagnose and fix vehicles. So yeah. when you talk about the technician shortage, I mean, there is going to be some stopgap coming out here soon with the AI yeah. intelligence and all that kind of thing. Well, I mean, there's no, and, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. There's no question that a combination of robotics and AI will eventually transform vehicle maintenance and repair. But that's a huge transition for organizations that historically yep. have assumed that their own employees could maintain and repair their fleet assets. And let's face it. A lot of fleet owning organizations are not the best when it comes to buying goods and services, okay? Uh, particularly in the public sector because of public procurement laws and regulations. You know, there is a lot of red tape involved in procuring services. And um, so so while, you know, the, there may be a solution on the horizon to the technician shortage or the technician brain drain, um, you know, there's still a price that comes with that solution, and that is uh, organizations that historically have insourced a lot of fleet management activities are going to have to become much more skilled at outsourcing those asset management uh, services. Yep. Yep. You talked a little bit. I remember you saying, you know, the next recession is likely to exacerbate these challenges, you know, and I think we're sitting here right now, probably on the precipice of that recession. So. Talk a little bit yeah, about I mean, that. Um, I, I think that uh, right now, from what I've read, you know, there is expect, an expectation that we will probably have a recession next year. And you know what happens in a recession? Replacement budgets get cut. Yep. Um, you know, uh, unfilled positions don't always get filled. And so there's always a pullback, and that just puts additional pressure um, on, on fleet management and fleet maintenance uh, operations in particular. You know, another factor that you could really throw in there, um, or another, I guess, dimension of changes in automotive technology that we haven't talked about yet is electrification. I mean, I think that, I think that most fleet professionals would agree, agree that the retail adoption of, uh, EVs is proceeding more rapidly, uh, than we expected. And of course, retail adoption always precedes fleet adoption. Okay. But, you know, uh, shareholders, C-suite executives, elected officials start asking questions about, well, you know, what are we doing in terms of electrification of our fleet? And, you know, I think that electrification is, uh, it's kind of a mixed blessing or a double-edged sword. On the one thing, on the one hand, I think that the interest in or the enthusiasm for fleet electrification is, um, provides an opportunity for fleet professionals to highlight or bring to the attention of decision makers the kinds of challenges involved in managing a fleet of vehicles that they've never had before. I mean, there's just more uh, of a spotlight on the world of fleet and all things fleet because of electrification than has probably ever occurred in the last century. That's the good part. The bad part is that um, I think there's some risk for some organizations of electrification sucking a lot of oxygen out of the air and a lot of money out of uh, fleet budgets and really detracting attention from these other phenomena that I referred to. You know, the, the need for fleet uh, management organizations to become more skilled 
in actually using computerized data for decision-making purposes um, and dealing with the workforce changes. It's certainly something, I mean, we just got back from the NCSFA conference this last week, and I would say electric vehicles dominated the discussion. Same with FleetCon uh, last month. So it's definitely in the forefront right now. And, you know, and I always worry that we're, we're kind of moving very quickly and rapidly in that, uh, in that space without as much thought as we need to on the infrastructure and some of the intricacies of, you know, actually making this thing a, a, a doable solution. Um, sometimes we're moving a little bit faster than maybe we need to move. And I always, I always appreciated what you used to say, you know, electric vehicles are a great, uh, an option, but they aren't the, the ubiquitous solution to everything, you know, and there's other things that we need to be thinking about if we want to reduce our carbon footprint. Yeah. Well, what's interesting when you think about this whole EV phenomenon is, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that most fleet owners uh, have never been all that adept at strategic planning. I mean, let's, I mean, let's be honest. It's, there are a lot of day to day demands involved in managing a fleet of vehicles and they can easily consume all of the time and attention of fleet professionals. Makes it very hard to carve out time for any kind of strategic business planning or thinking about what the long-term uh, ramifications are of adding a lot of electric vehicles to your fleet. So again, I, it's, I think it's a, it's a mixed blessing for sure. Great for the environment. Um, and, and you know, certainly there are benefits in having more electric vehicles in a fleet but um, they're not a panacea and they are going to bring their own set of, of longer term challenges. And we are only beginning to understand uh, what those challenges are. And so, you know, fleet electrification is just another element of the perfect storm that fleet professionals are going to have to be thinking about and thinking about the consequences and the costs of electrification for many years to come. You know, we're seeing right now um, with the UAW on strike, one of the big contentious points is electric vehicles right? because it, it takes less people to make electric vehicles because of all the, you know, less less components, less parts. And you can see where that contention has manifested itself in this, this strike that doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon, at least without government intervention at this point. So it could be interesting to see how, where that takes us in the industry. Yeah, I mean, I think in the long run, I mean, uh, very good point, Steve. You know, electric vehicles are simpler to, to maintain. There's no question. You have a direct drive motor. Um, it's much easier to maintain and repair over the long term than an internal combustion engine. And that should benefit fleet owners that are struggling with these workforce changes and with the retirement of, of skilled technicians and so forth. Uh, but the transition... Uh, I, you know, I think the, the transitional period is going to continue to be pretty stormy and that transitional period is going to go on. You know, I, I would think at least 10, you know, maybe 15 years. And that's the, not the only, you know, the, the, you know, replacing ice, uh, vehicles with EVs is, is just one aspect of the continuing evolution of automotive technology. You know, there's there's autonomous vehicles uh, coming down the pike, autonomous vehicles beginning to be introduced into real world applications yeah. as we speak. Um, so there there are a lot of a lot of unknowns. Uh, fleet management is um, 
is not going to get any easier. So I concluded that I probably picked a, a good time to retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually thinking that myself. One of the things that I, I've been noticing, uh, and it, maybe it's just coincidental, I don't know, but the uh, last couple of in, engagements we've had consulting-wise, something simple um, like having a, uh, a preventive maintenance checklist. Organizations aren't even using those. You know, and I'm sitting here going, well, how are you inspecting a vehicle to make sure it's safe? You know, that, that to me is a routine best practice. You know, I, I think back to our our matrix that we used to have about 100 best practices, you know, and that's clearly right. one of those elements on that, you know, and, and we're having to educate people on, hey, you know, you need to have a checklist, whether it's digital or paperless or whatever. You need to be able to have some process for that mechanic to walk around that vehicle and ensure that it's being inspected properly. You know, and I think that goes back to the brain drain. You know, people are just well, omitting yeah, those kind of yeah. things. I, I think that's part of it. But also, I think that, you know, it's easy to say um, we need to have more training for fleet professionals, basically from apprentice mechanics on up. Um, but but it's not that simple. I mean, look, we know that there is advanced technical training from vehicle manufacturers um, and there's lots of training resources for fleet managers. There's not a lot of training available for uh, for supervisors, for kind of you know, mid-level uh, maintenance professionals in particular. You know, the other thing that I discovered during my consulting career is it's all well and good to say, well, you know, um, you need to develop relationships with Votech schools, develop a pipeline of entry-level mechanics or apprentice mechanics. You need to develop an apprenticeship program for mechanics. The reality is if you actually talk with, or, you know, a lot of organizations that have tried to implement apprenticeship programs, I mean, think about it. In an apprenticeship program, who's doing the training? It's the journeyman technicians. Well, the apprentices basically end up being gophers. You know, they basically are, end up being laborers. They don't get a lot of true hands-on training in many cases because there's just so much pressure being placed on the maintenance organization by some of these other phenomena that we're talking about. And you talk about, you know, we've talked about succession planning, but only really a handful of organizations have even been successful with that. Because, I mean, right. for all intents and purposes, you got to have two people, right? And so Correct. their budgets, their staff budgets and all the, you know, the pressure and everything, they, they can't hire two people. So they find themselves. In so, the so back to the point that I made earlier yeah. about, you know, the, you know, the fifth electrification, you know, creating the, the 15 minutes of fame opportunity for fleet professionals. I think that. You know, smart fleet managers recognize that there is much more interest in all things fleet because of the EV phenomenon. And they need to figure out how they can leverage that attention, that spotlight that's shining on the fleet operation to bring to management, to bring to decision makers attention. Some of these other challenges, the need for bigger training budgets, for example, the, the need for, you know, a more strategic approach, approach to fleet replacement planning and, and fleet uh, replacement budgeting. So yeah. if, if fleet professionals, fleet managers, senior you know, fleet managers in particular, don't recognize that and take advantage of this opportunity to, um, you know, to, to really educate decision makers as the, the whole panoply of challenges facing fleet management organizations, that, that, that would be a real shame, be a real missed opportunity. One of the things that you've always uh, been really keen to is, um, you know, how to rethink the conventional wisdom, you know, where we where we are and where we need to be. And I, 
I know I put together a list of some of those things that you had been proselyting out there, but things like, um, you know, repair versus replacement programs, things like that. You did, you alluded to that a little bit earlier, you know, as we, we enter potentially a recession, you know, those things tend to go on the back burner. People start keeping vehicles longer, which becomes a real inherent problem, you know, in the fleet management industry. So talk a little bit about some of your uh, thoughts on, you know, rethinking conventional wisdom, you know, along with perfect storm. Well, I mean, I, probably the, the most conventional, conventional wisdom is, you know, and run them to the wheels fall off. And the funny thing is that, um, you know, that's that's one piece of conventional wisdom that that we you know, uh, criticized for many, many years at Mercury Associates, because there are a lot of hidden costs associated with running you know vehicles to the wheels fall off in terms of parts availability, in terms of downtime, in terms of lack of reliability. Ironically, though, uh, with this, you know, attempt that a lot of fleet owners are making to transition to more EVs, there's actually something to be said for trying to keep some older <laughs> conventionally fueled vehicles in the fleet longer, um, assuming that you have the resources to continue to maintain and repair them uh, properly. Um, I mean, another piece of conventional wisdom, certainly that's and prevalent in the public sector for as long as I was doing consulting is it's cheaper to buy vehicles outright with cash than to finance them either with debt or through leases. And, you know, one area, um, one aspect of fleet management on which I focused much of my career and which Mercury Associates devoted much of its consulting work was to debunking that notion that the the most cost effective way to to acquire vehicles is to purchase them outright with cash. That's actually, in most cases, the least cost effective way uh, to acquire vehicles. Um, you know, both debt and leasing allow you to pay for an, an asset incrementally as you are using it. It's kind of like a home mortgage allows you to have a roof over your head while you're buying the house. Right. If you know, I think it's safe to say that if most of us could only live in our own home. If we had to purchase it outright with cash, we'd have we'd have very different kinds of houses than the ones that we live in. So that we, same kind we'd of probably be living in a car. Really <laughs> you know, that really applies to fleets. And and in fact, right. I could show you countless both public sector and small commercial, you know, family owned business, you know, family owned companies that have fleets of vehicles, where they they felt that it was the most the most fiscally or financially prudent way to acquire vehicles was to buy them with cash. And what that does is it really distorts decision making and you end up keeping a lot of vehicles and pieces of equipment in the fleet far beyond their economic service lives. And so and, and I think that if there's one common uh, element to, you know, these, you know, these aspects of conventional wisdom that um, I think it's important pe for people to recognize is that they're really not based on data. They're based on subjective judgment. They're based on supposition. Um, and so again, back to the point that I made at the outset of our conversation about advances in information technology today, organizations spend a huge amount of money to collect data on fleet assets, on the utilization of those assets, the, the maintenance and repair costs of the assets on the performance of in-house workshops and workforces. But where they're not very good is figuring out how to turn those data into actionable information in areas such as repair versus replace 
or purchase outright versus finance versus lease. And that's, you know, that's one of those aspects of the perfect storm that fleet owners need to get their, you know, they, they need to address, um, uh, continue to, to, to recognize as a problem and, and address through more training of their employees in the use of data-based uh, business processes and decision-making processes. That's one of those things that we recognize all the time here at uh, RTA, you know, because certainly we're a uh, fleet management information system company at heart. And then we're also doing consulting. But if you go out to a lot of these places that we, we meet with, um, people like fleet analysts are just few and far between. I mean, really, nobody leverages the data like they should. So you're making a really valid you know, argument there. So how do we how do we change that? What, what can we do? Well, I think that, um, I mean, let's talk about probably a lot of RTA customers are uh, smaller municipalities, for example. Yeah. Uh, in many cases, those municipalities may not even have a you know, formal fleet management division, for example. Uh, it might be a group of people in the public works department that are managing all the public works vehicles and equipment in a municipality, police department might be doing its own thing, fire department might be doing its own thing. I think one of the things that a lot of smaller fleet owners need to be cognizant of and be thinking about is how do we develop a kind of a central repository of data analysis, capability and expertise within our organization, rather than having the finance director with his analyst and the you know, the uh, facilities manager having his or her analyst and the fleet manager maybe has no analysts at all. In some of your smaller client organizations, I would guess, Steve, that the closest thing to the fleet analyst is the fleet manager. Yeah. Um, so, the, so that fleet manager is buying vehicles, hiring and firing, dealing with um, third-party service providers, and also trying to make sense of the data that's captured in, in the RTA system. That's just not very realistic. So, um, which is all, all of which is kind of a long-winded way of saying that there are significant economies of scale associated with using a computerized fleet management system well, and small fleet owners can't really leverage those economies of scale. And so one of the things, you know, that, that we used to recommend that they explore is, is there a way to consolidate responsibility for data analysis across multiple departments within an organization or within a small company and have those analysts. They have, so essentially the analysts have to be somewhat generalists, but be able to support both fleet related decision-making, but also financial forecasting and planning and infrastructure uh, management and uh, maybe HR and other things as well. One of the things that we're seeing emerging, at least on our side is, you know, fleet analysis as a service. You know, one of those mm -hmm. things where we could actually leverage those, uh, you know, in our fleet management information program and maybe provide that service to people that are subscribers of our, our SAS program or our, our web program. So we're kind of moving down that direction because we see there's a gap there. So I know we're coming up to the, uh, the, the end of the podcast, but I want any final thoughts on uh, what you're what you think you should we should be seeing out there or any thoughts on the brain drain and all those things we talked about? Well, you know, I think that um, uh, I think that the, the you know the challenges that we've been talking about that I collectively refer to as the, the perfect storm um, are not going to go away for a while. Um, you know, we will have 
you know, we'll have peaks, peaks and valleys in, in the economy, you know, recessions come along on average about every one, six or seven years. So we know that there's going to be one, you know, in, in the not too distant future. Um, so the, so the pressure is not going to abate, uh, you know, anytime soon. I think that the, the, probably the, if I could offer any words of wisdom to, to fleet managers that I've worked with for almost 40 years, it's, you know, you have to remain vigilant. Uh, you need to, um, pay attention, you know, to, to, to what you're hearing from industry associations, from service product and service providers like RTA. You need to take advantage of training opportunities when they come your way. Uh, because, um, you know, these challenges are going to be very difficult to surmount. And they certainly cannot, you know, I think that for the better part of a century, a lot of fleet owners could get away with kind of muddling through because there weren't significant changes in the vehicle technology itself. Uh, you can't muddle through anymore. Muddling through is no longer an option. It was an option 40 years ago. It was an option 30 years ago. It's not an option with the vehicles that are coming off assembly lines today. Muddling through just will not cut it. You're either going to figure out how to care for those assets using your own personnel, your own uh, in-house shops, or you're going to have to become skilled at working with third-party service providers. Uh, but, but I think that's that's an unavoidable um, characteristic of, of fleet management today, and for the you know for the foreseeable future, maybe robots will eventually take over, but. <laughs> I, I think that be a while. Great, great discussion. I know you and I could talk about this uh, endlessly, but uh, a couple of things to think about. You know, uh, we talked about succession programs and planning, mentorship programs, training programs, um, certainly conferences. You know, and discussions. Um, you know, part you could partner with uh, a consultation team, like even Paul and myself. You know, that have been around the industry and you know, watch this phenomenon occur. And, and it's probably fair to say, you know, we put these podcasts together for exactly the perfect storm purpose so that we could continue to to enlighten and educate those that are uh, going to be immersed in this. And we wrote the Fleet Success Playbook, you know, certainly because of this, because uh, the people that wrote that book are those that have been around for 40 years and have saw this phenomenon happen. So um, that pretty much uh, wraps it up today. I really appreciate you, Paul, coming on. And uh, thanks for having me. Good to catch up oh, with you. Steve. It's it's been awesome, you know, and and uh, catch up with you. And I'm I'm so in, enthralled that you're you're enjoying your retirement, and hopefully someday I'll be able to follow behind you. <laughs> so <laughs> good luck so, with that, Steve. You just have to say yes. <laughs> I I know. My wife keeps telling me that too. So. <laughs> So those of you that have any questions on about today's information, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to myself or our Fleet Success Show team. Um, you can also uh, send us your comments and suggestions and feedback at uh, our social media site at Fleet Success uh, or email us at podcast at rta.com, rtafleet.com. And so if you have any opinions, please share them with us. And in the meantime, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Fleet Success Show rate it go subscribe to it you know the drill be sure to share your best takeaways with your peers because nobody walks the road to greatness alone now get moving go and be the great fleet leaders that we know you are until next time